we've still got 1.2 million people who are entirely cash dependent, who have no bank account whatsoever. Um, and specifically in this environment, incredibly trap challenging for them. And, you know, people are, are, are genuinely struggling. On the podcast today, we're talking to Neil Harris, Group CCO of GPS, that's Global Processing Services, and Chair of the Inclusion Foundation. And we're talking all about financial inclusion. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly tech podcast with myself, David Savage, where we host interviews with leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Akish, on a scale of one to hot, how hot are you? Uh, Very hot. Off the scale, I think. Off the scale, mate. I was sat here topless, but I, th- I, thought, I, thought, I'd, um, I thought I'd put a T-shirt on, uh, seeing as I knew you were going to see me. And yeah, I mean... I'm no Abercrombie and Fitch model, mate. There's there's no definition or abs going on here. So, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought I'd put it on. <laughs> I did actually answer a call to our boss without a shirt on. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, give me a minute. Is. And then disappeared off camera and put one on. Like, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just got one hung in the back of my chair. So just in case there's a call coming through, I can just quickly just put it on. And, uh, yeah, take the call and then whip it off. So, yeah. All good. I mean, I think it's quite funny that, that, that today's interview starts with a conversation about the weather and about how rubbish it is. At the time of recording, we must have been going through that little glitch of cold weather and then releasing it when it's in the middle of a heat wave seems kind of perverse. Exactly, exactly. Because I, I, I did listen to the interview and I was like, oh, God, grey and gloomy and rainy. I was like, oh, I could do with it being a bit cooler today. But anyway, that's that's the British public, right? When it's cold, we want the sun. When we've got the sun, we want it to rain again. So... Never be happy, us lot, can we? <laughs> to our our US <laughs> listeners, to our international listeners, this is how you know that this is a British podcast. Uh, <laughs> obsessed with the weather and never happy with it. Yeah, exactly. Just never happy uh, in general, I think. No, exactly. Always, we, I think we're happy when we've got something to moan about. Um, Ooh. Our guest today is Neil. Um, so do enjoy this particular episode it's all about payments and we will be back shortly to have a chat about some of the conversation that myself and neil have on today's show we are joined by neil harris the cco at gps good morning neil how are you good morning uh, david very very well thank you uh, it's a friday morning as we're recording this have you, have you had a good week it's been a it's been a fantastic week. A little bit rainy this week, though. We, the uh, the yeah. weather's definitely turned. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, but the summer is with us. I uh, I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to have a good summer as well as soon as we get out of this COVID environment. Yeah, yeah. I wish that the weather would brighten up slightly so that we could really enjoy the fact that we've now got the exceedingly long evenings and <laughs> instead of it just being a bit damp and grey. But never mind. Um, you're not on the show to talk about the weather. You're on the show to talk about a number <laughs> of different things. But first of all, before we get into that, who are GPS, Global Processing Services? GPS is the issue of processor enabling many of today's high-profile fintech innovators, disruptors, and digital banks. Um, what that means is that we're really the outsourced payments platform to leading technologies and fintechs uh, globally like Revolut, Stocard, Curve, Starling Bank. And we're certified globally uh, by Visa and MasterCard to process and manage any credit, debit, or prepaid card transaction. In terms of in terms of my role and what I do at the organisation, I focus on three core things. 
Number one is customer success. Number two is strategic partnerships. And number three is our global expansion. You know, we've got a great team. We've got great customers and we've got great partners. And all of that kind of merges together to mean that we've got a really cool, growing, profitable and sustainable business. Um, And I really couldn't be proud of the team that's driving it all. It's interesting to hear you mention Curve, Starling, Revolut. They're all kind of brands that we've had on the podcast but then you forget that there's this myriad that uh, of kind of other companies that that obviously make up the 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 fintech community and make it all work. Um, I suppose on that point, uh, and given that we're in some slightly interesting times, how is that fintech community coming together to help support issues related to the pandemic and COVID nineteen? Because there, there must be some collaboration between those those businesses. Absolutely. And um, we've seen uh, a tremendous amount of partnership, not just from, as you say, the brands themselves, but as you as you said, the, there is an ecosystem at play here and an ecosystem that has always continued to to support the, the brands and the kind of the customer facing brands, whether it be for, for consumer or, or businesses um, from a, a digital banking perspective. Um, so what we've really seen is a it is a real focus specifically within the COVID environment of people pivoting, organizations pivoting, recognizing the need to pivot. And so leaning on those those partners such as GPS to really um, ensure that they're able to deliver a quality of service, but also a simple service that people can really get access to. Um, everything is real time these days. Um, and so the organizations that we work with and partner with, not just the brands themselves, but our entire ecosystem, whether that's the issuing banks, the KYC providers to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you, you let the good guys in and the bad guys, you, you keep them out. And you know, whether it be the schemes themselves, everybody is really pulled together to support what is quite a challenging environment, not, not just for, for businesses, but also from, from a consumer perspective as well. When you talk about pivoting, that, that's an interesting point, right? Because I've heard a lot of companies who who have pivoted. Some because actually their existing customers have gone quiet and they've found that they have time and that they, they kind of need to do something or they feel compelled to do something. And so they've maybe they've worked with local authorities and tried to kind of build services that help society in some way. Or maybe they've had to pivot simply to survive as a business. Kind of what, what have you seen happening? What, do, what, what are those pivots actually looking like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, fintech never stops, right? So if you're if you are a fintech, you live, breathe, and sleep this stuff. It's kind of our junk food. So you're absolutely right. When when certain organisations have seen their uh, their transactions dropping because they might be focusing, say, on an FX or a travel uh, uh, proposition, actually they've 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 done a fantastic job to pivot their businesses very quickly. Um, not only to ensure that they they come out of this in the strongest position that they uh, that they can, but also to deliver service which is actually required by the end user, and that's the I think that's the key differentiator between fintechs and other uh, perhaps more traditional players. It is very much with a you know they're not banks and they don't provide banking services. They provide financial services that actually help people enjoy their lifestyle and support mm. their, the, the consumer's lifestyle, which is a very different 
kind of angle. So when you when you take it from the customer perspective, you know the end user perspective, that's really what drives the fintech. So we've we've seen loads of fintech. So a lot of our customers stepping up and adapt, adapting their proposition within this environment. You know, for example, you know, supplying additional cards um, for a loved one, friend, or volunteer to go and help shop uh, for vulnerable uh, and isolated groups, um, such as. Um, the Connect card uh, from from Starling Bank, for example, who were able to pivot very, very quickly. Literally within a week, they created the the, the connected card um, using our platform. Um, the, they're also supporting small businesses through their bounce back loan schemes. So mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a there's a multiple. Uh, ways that um, uh, the fintech, specifically Starling in that case, but we've got many, many different organisations. Um, another kind of unsung hero, I, I think, of uh, of inclusion within our customer base is an organisation called B for B Payments. They've just done an amazing job. Um, they've issued a paper voucher replacement program for schools and for school meals. So where you literally had to. You know, it was, it was basically in, in lieu of, of cash, which of course is has has some challenges as well. But kind of paper vouchers is even less convenient. Um, they've they've created specific programs f- for that, as well as partnering with the Salvation Army to support victims of modern slavery. So you know, you can imagine the conditions of those poor people in a normal environment, let alone within a lockdown COVID environment. So you know, really hats off to Paul Swinton. Um, the CEO of B4B Payments, because you know, my in my view, he deserves an MBE for what what he's achieved. Just just to kind of talk about, I suppose the the environment that we found ourselves in, and I'll, I'll kind of cite an example of how I use fintech. So I I use a number of the fintech propositions, but I I also one of them that I use is, is Revolut. One of the things that I particularly like on there, and I think others do it now as well, but that you can spin up a virtual card in seconds. Um, yeah. So I've got I've got a number of virtual cards and and with uh, fraud and uh, cybercrime on the rise as we discussed on this show with with the likes of Pfizer recently um, I suppose there is a need to make sure that um, you know you're protecting yourself as much as you possibly can so the the ability to use a virtual card for purchases in shops and online and protect yourself a little bit and if if, if you need to freeze it and kill it and not have to wait for something to come through the post is a big bonus to me and then i also see that maybe people aren't at their usual addresses so getting a physical card delivered to them would would be difficult so i see that as being a really big positive but then at the same time i've noticed that shops have lifted the limit to 45 pounds on contactless payments so i suppose we're going down this route where our traditional need for a physical card and our traditional need for cash is disappearing but at the same time i suppose that's prevalent on you uh having internet and having a smartphone right Absolutely. And that's, you know, digital inclusion goes absolutely hand in hand with with financial inclusion, you know, to to take your point. I mean, I think the, the government, the UK government have done a fantastic job. You know, they, they were the drivers of that, um, of, of making sure that the the uh, the amount went lifted from from 30 pounds to 45 pounds. We were actually hoping for more. We were hoping for the, the 50 pound mark, which was kind of what was what was being cited. We've been talking about this for some time, uh, actually. So what all of those initiatives um, the virtual card protecting yourself online really really important but there are a couple of key aspects to that number one it was already there 
Um, we've had that technology as, as GPS and provide that that capability to the likes of Revolut, you know, and have been doing that for for, for many years. Um, but it's about this environment actually accelerating the adoption of it. So hand in hand with that, there's a huge access around um, education as well and informing people. We're, we're quite blessed, you and I, David. We mm. kind of live, breathe this stuff all day long. But, you know, there are many consumers out there that it's just an absolute mystery to them. What is a virtual card and, and why would I use it? Um, so this is this environment is, is really driving not only the adoption of these new technologies or newer technologies, let's say, um, which existed in a pre-COVID environment, but also it's about the education of, of those those individuals as well, which is which is absolutely vital. On that inclusion piece, how how is that being addressed? Because I, as I said, I, I can see there being an element that if you are if you are from a deprived area or you're living in poverty, uh, you know, it's all very well me kind of sitting here and you said, you, you, you said yourself that I'm lucky I know about these services and I sit here and I've got Wi-Fi and I know that I've got Wi-Fi and I can log on and I can get on apps and I can move money around and I can access these services easily. But that is not the case for a large number of people in the country. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've still got 1.2 million people who are entirely cash dependent, who have no bank account whatsoever. Um, and specifically in this environment, incredibly trap challenging for them. And, you know, people are, are, are genuinely struggling, you know, as, as a company, we serve many organizations who provide options to those, uh, those underserved, uh, groups, um, and we're very, very active in that financial inclusivity space. You know, whether whether these props are specific for the the old, the young, you know, people with disabilities, mental health issues, you know, immigration, uh, refugees. You know, there's a huge number of different reasons for exclusion. There's not just one size fits all. It isn't just there you go. I've got. I've now got a an X Y Z card. I'm now included. It's it's really not about that. It absolutely is about supporting those particular demographics and, and understanding why they're excluded um, and helping them. There are also people that self um, exclude, you know, they, they, mm. d- they decide it's about trust. It's about knowing that they prefer to have the cash under the mattress because they're comfortable with that. And, you know, as a, as an industry, I do believe, and this is, you know, echoed by, by, you know, the entire executive at, at GPS and our, and our business, you know, we're all about not just providing service, but also providing a platform to, to help people um, understand how they can better use the technology to improve their lives. You know, one in four people, this is a really shocking figure, but one in four people will experience some form of financial exclusion at some point in their life. You know, whether that's because they have, you know, financial difficulty. And I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of that in the coming months. Um, Mm. People who previously were employed are no longer going to be employed. Um, People who were, um, you know, actually are are, um, sent to prison and then come out of prison, they're excluded. They can't get bank accounts. You know, they've, Mm. they've done their time. They did something bad. They've done their time. But how are they being supported on the other end? Um, and so, you know, there's a, a huge potential, you know, one in four people experiencing this at some point of their lives. You know, they're so effectively we're all, you know, we're all potentially vulnerable to exclusion. And the fact that we've only got, you know, just 
10 million households in the UK don't have any kind of savings whatsoever. Again, after lockdown and 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 um, coming out of this tunnel, there's there's some some really hard times ahead. I think. Yeah. You mentioned that. I, I think the stats that were sent to me before we we uh, started the interview were 11.5 million UK citizens with less than 100 pounds, nearly nine million in debt. And it's great hearing you talk positively about this and and saying that we need action. One of the things that's often levied at the uh, or levelled, sorry, at the at the tech industry is that there's a lot of words, but sometimes not a lot of action. Uh, certainly around inclusion. But what's what's great to see is that you actually launched, you know, outside of your normal day job, you launched the Inclusion Foundation, which is a, a dedicated not-for-profit community, um, uh, 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 interest, sorry, a community interest company aimed at improving the lives of, of, of these people who, who are excluded potentially financially. Um, just very quickly, what do you think you can physically do? What, what, what are the aims of the Inclusion Foundation, you know, have you have you picked one or two targets that you're trying to tackle specifically to make a difference on? Yeah, and just to pick up on your point, that's you're, you're bang on. You know, there there are a lot of words. There are organisations saying we want to be the bank of the unbanked, and and it's just PR and marketing, frankly, which is a real shame because it actually affects a lot of people. Um, and as I've said, at least 1.23 million. There's also an awful lot of people who receive their social benefits on a, a kind of a, pre, a prepaid or a loaded card that can only be used at the post office. Um, mm. And there's, there's about a million people who use that on a weekly basis. So, you know, there's, there's challenges there. But in terms of, you know, the foundation, what we determined was, Enough with the words, let's execute. So there were an awful lot of brilliant other fa- uh, foundations and charities. One that I'd cite is the Financial Inclusion Commission. They do a fantastic job in raising awareness and, and understanding and you know producing white papers and really informing government of, of what their legislation should look like in the future to help solve it. Um, but they stop at the, the thought leadership. What we decided to do was to extend that so in working in partnership with with the commission, we created the not-for-profit foundation that actually um, delivers uh, um, uh, and executes on, on providing customers with choice. So we've got three core services. One is a comparison website where consumers can find the product that's available for them to serve their needs. As I said before, there's a load of reasons why people are excluded, you know, and so what this is is all about, and it's designed to allow them to select, you know, where they are within their own life cycle and, and the challenges that they face. And then what it does is it compares that against a huge database that we have of over 500 financial institutions and fintechs across the UK. And then it presents a list of these are the best options for you that we've seen um, uh, that, that you might want to consider. Um, we also provide an accreditation mark of quality that benchmarks those providers. So what we didn't want to just do is say, right, here's a list of people. This is what organizations, this is what they do. Go go figure. Actually, there is a, a responsibility on the foundation's perspective to assess and benchmark those providers against each other. And all with a view of raising the benchmark further because the more that we can expose um, where people are doing things right and where people can improve, 
in terms of their um, their services that they're providing you know the whole industry is going to get better and richer for it and then the third focus and I, I sort of mentioned this earlier is around education big yeah. challenge that that I believe not only with financial inclusion but also digital inclusion is actually the educational aspects of it you know there's a world of difference between my mum and dad who were actually fairly young grandparents right um you know within the, the sort of the the spectrum there's a world of difference between their use of technology and mine you know i'm like bill gates compared to my mum and dad they look at me in awe but then i look at my my son alex he's 12 years old that kid is a genius i mean he he bends technology like it's on like it's something from the matrix he is it's incredible so there's a generational aspect to this as well so education not only just broad education you know around um, and and not not just thought leadership either because as i say there are there are organizations that do that far better than than we will do at the foundation because that's their focus what we're focused on is you know how can we help educate those people who've got very specific needs um for for very specific services so that's that's what um, the third pillar of the foundation is all about just very quickly before we, we wrap up obviously the foundation is not for profit if anyone wants to get involved to help um how would they do that well that's a fantastic endorsement and thank you for that i i, I didn't expect it and I, I genuinely appreciate it it is a, it is a non-for-profit we've got a, a list of fantastic pioneers uh what we call the inclusion pioneers um uh, so you uh, who have supported the foundation so far but it is not for profit and we can only move as fast as we have the money to do so so in in terms of getting in touch we obviously have the website where you can go and check it out and, and check out the great work that we're doing and the other pioneers um, that are referenced on there but equally if you want to um, reach out to me uh, either on linkedin um, or i'm sure you'll you'll share details um with regards to the uh, to the podcast as well um i'm uh, more than happy to to direct you to the right people within, within the foundation well, Neil, look, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Uh, fingers crossed that weather does improve and uh, <laughs> have a lovely weekend. Brilliant. Thanks so much, David. Take care now. There's some shocking stats in this. There is some truly shocking stats in this. Um, a couple that really stand out to me, 1.2 million cash dependent in this country, no bank accounts, um, and 10 million with no savings. Um, I mean, that, which one, did which that surprise one you or... Yeah, I think the cash one definitely surprised me, to be honest. Like the savings one, I kind of understand because don't forget, you, you, you've got a large demographic of, you know, maybe maybe graduates. You've got a large demographic of, of kind of, un, uh, you know, what's the best way to say? It? Not areas in the UK that aren't exactly the most affluent of areas. So I get the savings one. I, I completely understand. And coming from someone that, well, up until a few years ago, didn't really know how to save or what to save or, or how to go about things. I, I get that. But the cash dependent one is the frightening one. I mean, where, where do they keep it all? And also, are they then hiring some sort of security? Are they, you know, because I'll be honest with you, the, the other day I went to the cash point and had to withdraw a significant amount of money from a few of my, my kind of accounts. And 
I was getting some stuff done at work and uh, stuff that works. Well, stuff done at home, but home is work at the moment. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was getting some stuff done. Had to, you know, pay the the contractors. But and 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 that sketched me out. I'm not going to lie to you. Like just going out and and you know withdrawing cash and and kind of giving that amount away and even just walking from the cash point to my car, I was just a bit like, oh, a bit jittery. Do you know what I mean? Like just just carrying around. Mm. Um, yeah, cold hard cash, as we like to say. But it's yeah, it's scary. I don't, I don't understand why people are doing that, really. Um, but I, I guess you know, what, I don't what know if talked about. Yeah, whether whether or not including those statistics, you would include um, something right like Revolut or you know something that doesn't have a banking license. I suppose technically isn't a bank account is technically a prepaid card. You know, and, mm. and Neil talks about prepaid cards where you can only kind of withdraw cash from the post office a far more restrictive restrictive version than the fintech uh, offerings that we've seen in the last few years but um yeah it is a shocking number isn't it i mean it when is. it says cash it dependent and i'm guessing it doesn't include those prepaid cards because then you wouldn't be cash dependent you would at least have something that you could use as as a contactless card yeah and also what are these people i mean i, I hope they've put some thought to what they're doing or what they're going to do at this current moment, you know, where a lot of shops have gone by the contactless or card payments only mode, you know, there, there are, I think my local like Sainsbury's just like the, the mini Sainsbury's basically, if they're not taking any cash at all, and it's written all across the store. And, you know, so what happens? I mean, do these do these people now, you know, not buy things? Do they have to go to certain retailers only? It's, it's yeah. I mean, I don't know. And that's a really fair that's a really fair point, you know, when we're talking about financial inclusion, we often do get very kind of excited about the idea of a cashless society and what that might mean and the potential benefits of it and different payment solutions and you know we talk we talk on this podcast very enthusiastically about fintech solutions and I don't think that we should stop doing that by any means. But I think there is that slant that um we need to be aware that there are different demographics and, you know, mental health refugees, any number of different reasons might be that someone doesn't have the ability to access those same services that we take for granted. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, well, I think with the influx of, like you say, you know, whether it's refugees or whether it's kind of people with extenuated circumstances in life, they are probably not going to be included in, you know, the way me and you and, and people like Neil choose to, you know, use our finances or choose how to kind of pay for things and, 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 you know, kind of store our cash or investments or whatever. So it's, it's a tough one. And I, and I hope, and, and I like the fact that, you know, people like Neil are, are doing things towards that, you know, kind of actually trying to include those that may not have been included in the past kind of, you know, decades or years um and also that the, the the your high street banks have probably you know looked over um i think there's probably as you can see the numbers don't don't lie there's a huge demographic of people and if we can find products to to appeal to those then you know that market could definitely definitely help businesses boom um you know from, from that side of things yeah and unfortunately it looks like it's probably going to be a, grow, a growing market you know this this one one in four people will experience financial uh, exclusion. Um, mm. You know, you kind of, I'll be honest, I wasn't aware that um, 
an ex-prisoner would struggle to get a bank account. Um, so that shows my naivety. But equally, a lot of people are furloughed, may well become redundant. Uh, things are going to get tougher, uh, unfortunately, in the short term. And so financial inclusion should be something that's really at the top at the top of the agenda right now because of what's going on in society on a, on a bigger scale. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think the, the, the prisoner thing as well, but then also people that may, you know, there might be some people that take... Um, you know, some some kind of loans that take some sort of, um, you know, things on credit during this time, which might affect their kind of credit history and, and that sort of thing. And we, we hear about credit files and your credit history and these sorts of things, you know, affecting people for mortgages and, you know, large kind of things that may buy like cars and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, that can also have an effect on just setting up a, a bog standard current account, I guess, um, which, um, yeah, which is, which is, yeah tough to hear um and, and i feel sorry for people actually i i like i like the point that he makes you know that the, the the bank of the unbanked claim that a lot of people uh, talk about um you know there's a lot of words out there but he focused in on the education piece and there is that generational difference you know he talks about his son alex being able to bend technology like it, it's the matrix and his mm. his parents who are fairly young grandparents struggle a lot more and and education mm. really is key here especially when we've been talking on recent podcasts you know when we had fiserv on the show when we were talking about financial crime and how that's on the up that only seeks to reinforce the need to educate people so they're aware of the services available to them and how they can be used to help ma- manage finances more successfully yeah, exactly. And we've talked about this before, right? With, um, I think you alluded to it in the interview as well, with, with fraud and that sort of thing going up, um, especially on the, the kind of online side of things or the e-commerce or cybercrime, whatever you want to call it. I think that going up and, and people using those, as, as bad as it sounds, I, I think, you know, those sorts of criminals will definitely target those that don't have the education in these products or in these, you know, kind of... Um, you know, kind of, I guess, applications that people like, you know, you and I may or may not have. So as far as education goes, I mean, you know, I've been educating my parents for the last few years on online banking and, you know, kind of transactions, that sort of thing. In fact, I think during lockdown, my mum actually bought one of these, um, one of these phones where there's no fingerprint recognition anymore. So it's just a facial thing. And, you know, her actually trying to get to grips with the idea that her online banking was also now only coming on her phone because of the facial recognition piece and you know kind of explaining to her that look you know this is why it's important that's what needs to happen whereas my mum you know from a few years ago she was still that person who would ring the bank to make a transaction into another account do you get what I mean so explaining to her mum this can happen in 20 seconds rather than you being on hold for 20 minutes and getting frustrated so yeah I think (laughs) there is a generational difference but yeah bless her um but I think, yeah, people like us us can definitely help those that are around us, friends, family, that sort of thing, to to help people. Well, Neil, thanks for coming on and talking about GPS. Thanks for talking about the Inclusion Foundation as well. Obviously, we talk about that at the back end of the interview. Do check that out. Uh, we'll include links in the show notes. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about QAnon.
Welcome back to the show, part two. We're talking about a report in The Guardian about QAnon. The Guardian have done a deep dive. They've called it Down the Rabbit Hole, How QAnon Conspiracies Thrive on Facebook. Akish, do you know what QAnon is? I don't know what QAnon is. I was about to Google it whilst you were talking, but go on, you can tell me. So basically, QAnon has evolved out of baseless Pizzagate theories which posited that Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring out of a Washington DC pizza restaurant and it's come to incorporate numerous strands of right-wing conspiracy mongering so dedicated followers interpret Q's cryptic messages as a kind of digital scavenger hunt um, and that's despite the fact that Q's prognostics have reliably failed to come true. Uh, followers basically rationalise that the inaccuracies are, are some part of a, of, a, of a plan. But the article talks about um, the fact that QAnon followers, Q followers rather, believe that Donald Trump is secretly waging a, a patriotic crusade against those in, in, in the deep state who are child abusers and that there will be a great awakening on the horizon. So this is, this is right-wing conspiracy theorists, but on a scale that is truly staggering. And actually, the reason why we're talking about this is there are some there are some comments in this article that are kind of terrifying, okay? So the crux mm. of this, let me read this out to you. Facebook's own internal research in 2016 found that 64% of all extremist groups uh, mm. are joined due to our own recommendation tools. So the discoverability algorithms are prompting people to go and join them. Um, our recommendation systems grow the problem. That was what internal research at Facebook said. So Facebook did not respond to questions from The Guardian about this. What The Guardian had basically done, okay, is they'd followed certain groups um, and Facebook just started recommending more and more and more. So they'd, they'd basically gone on and instead of looking for QAnon content, they joined pro-Trump groups, anti-vaccine groups, anti-lockdown Facebook groups. And then they were they were basically a list of over 100 groups, QAnon groups, were generated from the algorithm. Wow. That's crazy. For anyone listening, Akisha's, Akisha's head is in his hands. That's meant... See, this is what I mean, right? Because so, things like that, the recommend like the recommended stuff sometimes it's great right I and mean, we've had a chat on 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 the podcast before where you know you're looking for something and you might not realize that another product or another brand is available and then you know it suddenly just pops up on your feed and you go oh i was actually looking for for that and actually that that looks better or, or that pair of trainers or, or or you know those you know sunglasses or whatever actually are, are a lot better so I, I might buy that but when you see that you know, it's it's actively kind of contributing towards, you know, um, groups and ideas that are are just there to cause disruption in the community and society. And people are then, you know, they might just think about it. I, I don't know how many, like you said, with the um, terrorist and, and, and kind of, you know, um, extremist groups, think about how many people could have you know not had those ideas and 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 what the effect of that would be on society as compared to now that they're involved in those groups and and what their ideologies are it's mental absolutely absolutely yeah. in the past we've, we've you know we've we've worried about the internet being this place where people can be radicalized um mm. but i think we've always had that view that people have had to go out and look for that content now we find yeah. that unfortunately yeah. big tech is recommending that content to people and the article basically finishes by saying that you know the window for facebook to act on QAnon may have already passed um you know starting to wonder if we're just waiting for the next shoe to drop another act of violence um and 
you know, that seems to be what the platforms are waiting for. And that in itself is terrifying. The the Guardian basically discovered that there were 2.75 groups. And within a month, it grew by 8.5% to 3 million groups on Facebook. So look, we're not here to bash tech. Obviously not. This is a tech podcast. But we are here to try and talk about unintended consequences. We are here to talk about responsible leadership and technology. We are here to make people kind of aware of some of the dangers of tech. And I think this article is a really important one if you're involved in the technology industry and you're not read up on it to kind of go, okay, this this is why there are some issues around big tech and why regulation needs to be thought through and right. Because, yeah, yeah it, algorithms are radicalizing people. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and also we've spoken about it a million times as well is the ethical side of technology and, you know, the, the governance and, and controls piece needs to be, strengthened you know i still think whether it's whether you're talking about kind of you know cyber crime whether you're talking about online kind of hacking whether you're talking about you know recommendations and and algorithms that will show you you know what you should be looking at based on you know you may have searched for something um and suddenly it's all in your face so yeah it needs to do that because there are more and more young people there are more and more there's going to be more and more frustrations in society in the world with jobs being lost financial you know statuses all these sorts of things and the last thing you want to do is to be you know kind of polluting people's ideas or ideologies on the infrastructure of of a country or the infrastructure of a policing system or you know the the, the kind of wider community because that is not going to be good for anyone or anything. Anyway, look, uh, not to end the note on a, on a downbeat note, Akish, after yeah. oh, three and a half months, we're seeing each other tomorrow. We are. We are seeing each other tomorrow. Socially distanced, though. And, in a yeah, park. Socially distanced, in a park, outside space. Before if anyone, anyone, if anyone sends... looks across, we'll do a, stu- a few We'll do a few star jumps <laughs> to make sure that we can go, you know, yeah, claim that it's exactly. outdoor, outdoor activities, exercise. Exactly. exactly. Group exercise. Um, stroke leaving do a few drinks with some nice weather hopefully absolutely but everyone thanks for listening this week have a lovely weekend try and avoid the thunderstorms today